Welcome back, baseball fans, to episode 40 of the Banished to the Pen podcast, a near-weekly audio adventure from the website Banished to the Pen, a group baseball blog by fans of the podcast, Effectively Wild. I'm your host, Ryan Sullivan, at NatchGM.com on Twitter and the Baron of All Baseball Podcasts. On this week's show, I, I am happy and honored and excited to have uh, two contributors to uh, the Banished to the Pen site, and uh, I believe two former guests as well. I've got Mike Carlucci and Mick Reinhardt uh, joining me this week. Welcome back, guys. Thanks. Good to Thanks be back. Uh, very cool. Very cool. I'm glad uh, we're gonna, we got so much to talk about. Uh, we're just about at the beginning of the offseason, so I'm really excited to have you guys both on. Uh, place we start every week, uh, introduce yourselves to the audience, if you will, a little bit. Uh, who you're a fan of, where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find your work, besides Banish to the Pen, uh, and anything kind of you want to share. Um, Let's start, as we always do, alphabetically. So, uh, Mike, go ahead. Uh, introduce yourselves to the Internet. Hello, Internet. Uh, I'm uh, out, out in Boston, Red Sox fan. Look, uh, looking forward to the Dombrowski Adventures. On Twitter, at, uh, at Mike Carlucci. Uh, do some writing for Banish to the Pen. Uh, and a little bit at a uh, site called Sports Post. Very cool, very cool. Uh, Mick, same question. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, say hello. I am Mick Reinhardt. I cover the Class AA affiliate of the Washington Nationals, the Harrisburg Senators, uh, for the local media affiliation here. And I also contribute to Banish to the Pen. You can reach me at Twitter uh, at Mayflies. Very, very cool. He's a uh, must-follow, particularly for all the Nationals fans out there like myself. Um, definitely a great resource seeing all the prospects coming through at Double A. So uh, welcome, guys. I'm happy to have you on. And uh, let's get into some baseball, all right? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. First place we're going to start, uh, we're going to take advantage of the fact that Mike is a Red Sox fan. It's going to be a little bit of a Red Sox show, at least early on. But uh, you mentioned the Dombrowski era kind of starting a couple of, uh, I guess he was hired about two months ago now or whatever it was, and probably the first big trade of the offseason happened with the Red Sox. It was uh, Craig Kimball going from San Diego to the Red Sox for, let's see if I can get this right, uh, Manuel Margot, uh, Carlos Asuaje, uh, a young left-handed pitcher named Logan something, and uh, a young shortstop named Javier Guerrero, I believe. How'd I do? Yeah, that's... Uh... Sounds sounds about right. Not too bad off the top of my head. So uh, first place I want to start, Mike, I just want to get your opinion of the deal. Uh, let's start as a Red, just as a Red Sox fan and your thoughts. As a fan, getting getting Craig Kimbrell, great. Okay, exciting to have another, another good closer. Koji has been fantastic, but, uh, you know, his, his time is kind of – Kind of winding down, and the bullpen's a little, little thin when he's, you know, if he's if he's not available. So that part very exciting. Giving up a bunch of prospects to get kind of a high paid closer. It's it's, it's like it's like the gospel of Theo has just been burned and thrown away. Yeah, it's pretty fair. Uh, it's pretty safe to say this trade would not have happened under the old uh, regime. I think that's pretty fair to say. Yeah, no, this is this is this is Dombrowski. Like, Theo wouldn't have wouldn't have uh, given up a pile of prospects for for a closer. Uh, Sherrington would, wouldn't have done that. You know, he he traded for other guys, but <laughs> you know, uh, I'm Joel. Joel Hanrahan was not a huge acquisition. Like that was, he was a closer in name, but it's they didn't, they didn't give up anything. Of, well, Mark Melanson ended up, ended up being, being pretty good for the Pirates. But well, Brock Holt was a nice piece to come back yeah. in that deal as well. So yes, yeah, and they got Holt. They, they got, they got a, you know, a very valuable guy who played every position. Like that's so. So Mick, let me let me tag you in now. Let's talk about this more from the and we'll and obviously Mike as well. Let's let's cover this more from the baseball side of it, not as a fan. Were you? I think we all were expecting San Diego to probably move Kimbrel this offseason, although maybe a little less so after Benoit went. But uh, what are your thoughts, Mick? I mean, I think you've probably seen Margot a fair amount this year. I, I did see Margot. Yeah, 
I, I think that the Padres did great in this deal. Uh, I think by striking kind of early, they were able to get as much as they probably could. You know, there's that always that that dilemma where if you wait it out, you might even get more, but in the same regard, you might get a lot less. And I think that not just Margot, but Swahe, I mean, I think that's a real big return coming back to them for a guy that they that wasn't going to be around when they were going to start competing again, quite frankly. Well, and I, I love talking prospects, and I think Manuel Margot might be one of my favorites in the entire minor leagues. Uh, he is a special, special outfielder, and I'm, I would have been loath to part with him if I were the Red Sox. I mean, this is a guy... I've seen him a ton. I don't want to step on mixed toes. I'm sure you've seen him a lot as well. Uh, has a chance to hit for average and power. Uh, has legitimate speed. Can be uh, a long-term center fielder with a pretty good arm. I mean, this is a real five-tool type of a player. I mean, he has a chance to be very, very special. I mean, yeah. I would I would comp him with, like, what people thought B.J. Upton was going to be. I mean, that's the kind of athlete I think you're talking about here. Yeah. Am I? What are your thoughts, Mick? I wholeheartedly agree, and I think that... You know, one of my favorite stats from last year was, and I don't remember it off the top of my head, but, you know, early on in the season, he hadn't struck out in, like, you know, the first 130 plate appearances or something crazy like that. And and that's the kind of guy that he he is, and, you know, he battles every at-bat and kind of doesn't give an at-bat away. I mean, he ended up striking out a little, you know, towards the end of the season a lot more, especially moving up to double-A. But it's still the kind of at-bats you want to see from a guy like – I mean, we saw it from the Royals all postseason. That's kind of what he brings to the table as well. Yeah, and his primary focus this year was cutting down on the strikeouts, and he did it. I mean, that's kind of nice to see when somebody goes to the double-A level. So, And, and I'm a big fan of Aswahe. You know, I, I know his agent a little bit, uh, Joshua Kuznick, who I do a show with as well. Cheap plug. But uh, Aswahe's got a chance to be a very, very good long-term major leaguer. Maybe he's a utility guy, but it, he's a valuable piece. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> And that's why I think that for anyone to kind of get both those guys and even more out of it, I think it was a deal that the Padres couldn't say no to. So now let me flip it back to, uh, to Mike, if I can, a little bit. Now that we've talked the prospects, are you surprised that I think the biggest criticism of this trade has not been bringing Kimbrell in. It's been more how does this now long-term affect the offseason? Where are we going to get our starting pitching? Where are we going to fill a couple of holes? Uh, maybe just talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's a really strange, strange departure because the, the the weakness in, I mean, the bullpen the bullpen was terrible in 2015, but you know bullpens bullpens fluctuate. Like you can you can pick up guys, and you know maybe you do better the next time. Uh, but it was it was the rotation from day one. Like their their plan was five guys who were all okay. And then look at Henry Owens, look at uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, and guys will come up during the year and they'll do better, which worked. Uh, and they were they were better in the, a lot better in the second half. Uh, I just don't think anyone could have imagined how bad they would be in the first half. Uh, so now, and, where so where did they go with the pitching staff now? So Dombrowski made made an interesting move in that he he acquired. He acquired Kimbrell in the trade. He prefaced it by saying there would be a painful move made. And then, then we saw it. And then said that the starter would come from free agency. Which which is interesting because there are you know because there's there's a few guys available. You've got you've got Price and Granky, who are going to be, you know, probably close to two hundred million and seven or eight years each. Then you've got Jordan Zimmerman. Got Johnny Cueto, and it's like he's he's kind of set it up as there's going to be a big move to acquire a starter, and the top the top two guys are kind of out of what the Red Sox normally do, and you know Cueto, Cueto and Zimmerman are also excellent pitchers, but like what are they as as to who the team is interested in? Like it's it's kind of it's interesting to be completely in the dark because they could they've never they've never signed anyone for that kind of money uh you know to any position like this is right I this mean, is bigger than the manny deal this is you know like like classic a-rod a-rod dollars going, the, go, going manny, to a pitcher i mean the manny deal at the time was spectacular 
I mean, yes. that, that, I, I would think that would be comparable, even if it's, you know, 15 years ago. But but you make a great point. I mean, even the Hanley signing and the Pablo signing last offseason didn't equal probably what those pitchers are going to earn, you know, uh, what is the word, just himself. Yeah, look, Hanley and Pablo take out their performance. You're getting two guys who are going to play, you know, 130 games each as long as, you know, if you factor in someone gets banged up for a couple weeks versus a pitcher you know, where you, you want 30 starts. Like it's, this, is, this is a dramatic change. Uh, but Dombrowski has, you know, he, he gave Verlander a big extension. Uh, he signed Cabrera. He signed uh, Animal Sanchez. Uh, well, Sanchez's contract is pretty, pretty reasonable. But, you know, he, he's given out big deals. He's, he signed, oh, Fielder. He signed Fielder, and then yeah. he traded him for another big, kind of kind of big deal in Kinsler. Like, he's, he, he could go after any of these guys. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's really, it's, uh, it's strange, because you, going, you know, going into Dombrowski era, you would know the Red Sox would not, they just wouldn't be going after Price or Greinke. Like, they're 30 years old, they're pitchers, it's going to be more than five years to, to sign them, and that, that those were ruled. Those that was that was the rule. That was the plan. Well, uh, to not go after those guys. Well, and let me ask you another question because, and I, I you know, I, I feel like I know most teams, but I don't have a great handle on the Red Sox right now. Are they one? You know, use Granky Price, Cueto, or Zimmerman. Let's just use those as one collective guy. Is that guy enough for them to? compete for the AL East and, you know, perhaps the World Series? I think they're a lot closer than than their their season would indicate. And that's exactly it, what I'm asking you, because it feels like they're very close in some ways, but yet three out of the last, what, four years, they've finished in the cellar uh, of their division. It's, are they really, are they better than their record, or are they their record? I think they're, I think they're better, better than their record. If they had, from, from the trade deadline on, from from August on, they they played pretty well. Oh, you know, well, decent amount over five hundred. I think uh, that that might have changed with the last weekend uh, getting swept by the Indians. But they they did they did pretty well. And they had they had Rodriguez, they had Owens, uh, Joe Kelly was in and out of the rotation. Wade Miley settled in to be Wade Miley, like he's a dependable number three guy. And in the beginning of the season, he was he was just not. Uh, if they if Buckholtz is healthy, like they've 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 got a lot of quality in the rotation, and adding if they add Price or Grinky, that's pro. I mean that that can probably be enough. If they add Cueto or Zimmerman, that's still probably enough. Like either of those guys can be, yeah, uh, you know can can be the staff ace, and just push out say Joe Kelly, uh, you know some someone who's at the back end, and you've got. A one and you know two twos and a couple threes. Well, and if, Kelly would if it pans out. And Kelly could really bolster that bullpen if you put him in a role. Now you've got Kelly, Tuzawa, or however you pronounce his name, Koji, and uh, Kimbrell. That's a pretty nice bullpen as well. Yeah, that's like that. It's going to be a very interesting, interesting team that they put out there. No matter who they who they acquire, if they just slide a couple pieces around and. You know, hope that what they saw out of Owens and out of uh, out of Erod, if if those guys build on their 2015, uh, you know, they they could quickly go from being just a disaster every night to kind of what they thought they were going to be heading into 2015, where every night they're in the game and you know have have an offense that can that can support the pitchers too. Well, and I want to ask both of you guys, but I'm going to uh, direct this first to Mick. It, are we in this age of war and and sabermetrics and everything else? Are we underestimating the value of closers and elite relievers? It, it feels like this off season we're going to see a lot of guys making pretty good money, and and you know day comes to mind, Soria and some of these other guys. It, are we not able to encapture the entire value of these? high-end relievers i mean we've seen some great teams now they're building from the back to the front almost is i guess what i'm trying to ask is are we underrating the value of bullpens i think we're underrating the value of those uh setup guys i'll say 
you know, like Wade Davis was in Kansas City before uh, he took over the closer role for Greg Holland, a guy like uh, Batansis in New York. I think we're somewhat undervaluing those guys that can go multiple innings and bridge the gap. But I think that we're actually still overrating the value of a closer as long as that closer is being used in the traditional sense. I think what you, when you're going to see the change is when there's going to be a team willing to use the closer in the high leverage situation, no matter when that is late in the game, whether it's the seventh inning, the eighth inning, or the ninth inning. If a team is willing to use that closer in that high leverage situation, I think that's when the value will actually be undervalued at that point. I, I, I 100% agree with you. It's it's uh, The step is now, when are we going to see guys like Kimbrell going 115 innings rather than 65 a year? I, I think that's a good point. What, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I, I think it's... I, th- I think Mick's, you know, right right on with that. Uh, you know, bringing in bringing in the closer in the situation that, uh, you know, you want the best guy on the mound, and kind of the feeling, the feeling is with, with the Red Sox is there looks like they're trying to give the manager that ability without sacrificing kind of the mantle of the closer. Uh, you know, by already talking to Koji and saying you're going to be you know, kind of the eighth inning guy, but you're going to be, uh, you know, the high leverage pitcher you were before. That, you know, and there, there, there were gifs and there were memes of you know Koji as the like the fireman, you know, different than the the stories of the the fireman from the seventies. But, you know, he before he became the closer, he'd come in in the crazy situation where the bases were loaded and there there were no outs, and it's the seventh or eighth inning, and you need. You know that that's not where you go to your your middle reliever. Like you want to go to your closer, but you know it's just it's just it's the complicated personnel management of can you tell the guy he's not pitching the ninth? Uh, but if you can get if you're like the Royals and you can get three guys who can you know ascend to the title of closer and start using them in the seventh and eighth too, that's that's a good place to be. But let me also flip it around on you guys and, and say, if we start in Major League Baseball, not we, but Major League Baseball starts valuing the 7th and 8th inning guys more highly, which means they start getting more money, then when that individual gets hurt because he starts pitching more innings, do we all of a sudden see this, you know, kind of the balloon or the balloon pop? I mean, we saw the Red Sox tried to do it, perfect pun, a couple of years ago. We're not going to have a closer. We're just going to have, you know, seven great relievers. And use them in leverage situations, and then it fell apart very quickly because you know the closers want to get paid. They know they get paid with saves and so forth. I, I, how am I trying to phrase this? Is the rising cost of these guys when you value them more, and that first injury occurs, do we just see this whole thing go? You know, kind of plummet out of the water like we do with starting pitchers now. We don't want to have them go more than seven innings because of the fear of them getting hurt. I think that's a valid point. Uh, I also think. You know, uh, the other thing to consider is that these guys are going to eventually move probably in free agency and become closers because, you know, teams are without the closers are going to look at those guys and go, well, they did so well in that seventh and eighth inning role, we can make them a closer. We've seen it in the past happen how many times. And I think because of that as well, you're going to see maybe those guys get paid closer money and not necessarily the setup money. And then, you know, reduce the innings and then not blow out their elbow or, or whatever. Not, you know, not get injured right away. But your point is a valid point where if you start adding innings, you know, like you said, go from 60 to 110, at some point guys are going to start breaking down when they're not used to it. And is that going to be an issue moving forward? It absolutely is. And it's a matter of then how many guys you have that can actually throw that way. You know, look at the Royals bullpen. It isn't just two or three guys. It's almost everyone they bring out of there that can throw the way they can throw and, and take over the roles that everyone else has. But now all of a sudden you see Holland hurt. You know, the next thing you know, if Herrera's hurt, then this point that I'm trying to make is going to come up is, did that overuse basically blow out their bullpen? Uh, it, and again, I, I agree. I think it's a valid point. I think that if you ask, the, if you ask Dayton Moore, though, he'll tell you that that's kind of the point mm-hmm. you know, to some extent to – to do what we can to win now as much as we can. 
Well, and Mick, I want to ask you from your perspective of watching a lot of double A baseball, are you seeing teams using their pitchers more in the closer type guys? And not every team has a closer, and I know everybody's on a certain schedule. That aside, are you seeing the high leverage relievers going more than one inning or being kind of groomed to pitch multiple innings? No, they're being groomed to pitch one inning typically. Uh, you know, every so often you'll have guys that are what they'll call ups, you know, if you get two ups, you know, you're in for two innings for two starts of an inning or whatever. And that really depends on what the the big club wants them to kind of work on. But for the most part, if you are being groomed as a complete back end guy, you are in there for one inning and one inning only typically. So it's not, we're not saying a, a grassroots change, I guess is what you're saying. Absolutely not. Uh, you know, I, I think what you're going to have is I, I think the issue more is also the specialization of guys even in college and even before that to some extent where there are guys that have been a closer their entire life where you look at, you know, the history of what we would call a closer now. A lot of times those guys were starters who were converting to closers or uh, even in the reliever core. You look at, again, two guys that I mentioned before, Wade Davis and Batansas. Both those guys were essentially failed starters who have blossomed and bloomed in that role in their late innings as a reliever. And nowadays, there's a lot of guys who are coming to a major league organization that only were relievers or closers in college and continue in that same role. So now to, again, up, up their innings limits, or at least you know what you're throwing them, I think, to your point, is, it might be very disastrous as far as on the injury front. Hmm. So, uh, I, I would like to maybe try to wrap this uh, segment up and this topic up a little bit. So let's let's do a little grade the trade. I guess going back to the original with Kimbrel, uh, who do you think won it, and uh, give a grade for each side. I'll start with uh, let's start with the Red Sox fan for sure, Mike. Oof. Okay, uh, I I think the Padres won the trade, which doesn't mean that things are going to go poorly. Uh, for the Red Sox, I'm sure Kimbrel can, you know, will pitch fantastic, uh, and they do still have they do still have Moncada. They've got Andrew Benatende, which they didn't they didn't trade those guys, so they they kept their most valuable pieces, even if they even if they did overpay. And I think I think Margot's already now the top prospect in the Padres organization, so Padres fans will probably enjoy this for for a few years. Uh, a grade. I'm gonna. I guess I've got a for an overall grade. I'd give the. I'd give the trade a B. Both both teams get something out of it. The Padres get. They're they're taking they're taking some risk. You know, uh, kind of the opposite risk they took last season, emptying all their prospects uh, to try and compete. They're they they gave up the guy who's more of the sure thing for. You know. 20 plus years of control across five four four guys but the Red Sox can you know they they got Kimbrel so it's it's really good for both sides but each side has some risk I think that's well said Mick your thoughts yeah I agree pretty much exactly the same that I think the Padres if I had to deem a winner or a loser I would say the Padres come out ahead however it's not that far away from uh, being a toss-up I think given where both organizations currently are, I think the trade does wonders for both of them. You know, the Red Sox feel they have, you know, are right there to compete already, so they need a guy like Kimbrell, as we talked about, to kind of move everybody else down in that bullpen, whether it be Kelly or whether it be Koji. And the Padres, after last spring's disastrous uh, trade results, they need to kind of replenish their system, and, and this is the prime thing to do for them is, is trade their pieces for four, you know, at least two quality guys and, and probably more. So I, I think it's a, a win-win, but I definitely think that the Padres in the end are probably going to like this trade more uh, from a standpoint of just the, the, the sheer numbers they're getting back. Yeah, I, I, to build off you guys, I, I think this is a big win, a big A for the Padres uh, to clear $30 million off your payroll when th- they look like they may struggle for a year or so. And I think Margot is just an absolutely perfect fit in that monstrous part. I mean, he can really go pick it in center field and could really make them a lot better, just their outfield defense. I think he's a perfect fit in Petco Park. 
uh, long term. But that said, I think the Red Sox are getting unfairly crushed in this deal. Kimbrell is, if he's not the best closer in baseball, he's the second or third best. And he signed for three years to a relatively nice contract. If he was a free agent, he would probably get five. So you're getting some nice contract value. You got something you absolutely needed, which is to bolster your back end of the bullpen. And you traded away pieces that you can probably aren't going to sting you long term. So I think that's a definition of kind of a win-win trade. I I think I would favor the Padres side just because I think they did so well everywhere, just all around. But uh, I think that the Red Sox are getting unfairly... uh, hammered in the media and with sabermetricians uh and, and i think this is a pretty good deal for them as well so okay uh next topic i wanted to cover and coincidentally it's also about the red sox uh the david ortiz retirement tour um mick you kind of brought this up uh you wanted to talk about it a little bit off air so i want to start with you but uh, is david ortiz worth a retirement tour uh, probably for the Red Sox fans. I mean, I, I get it from a from a hometown perspective, but I'm not really sure how beloved he is, and you know the other 16 towns that they're going to go visit this year uh, for that retirement tour. I, I also am curious as to how this kind of affects the Red Sox. You know, knowing full well that this is not just from a front office perspective, knowing full well that this is his last season, but you know, how much does he really prepare this winter for another season? You know, I, I remember, I can't remember who it was a couple of years ago. It might have been Tiki Barber even talking about when he was in his last year, knowing full well that the, it was his last year. And you kind of feel like you're quitting on your teammates to some extent. And I wonder how much that kind of goes through the clubhouse as well, uh, especially considering, and not to, not to hit on Mike's uh, Red Sox, but you know the clubhouse hasn't been the 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 uh, most serene place in Boston ever. It seems in the last couple of years, especially. Um, so I just wonder how it kind of affects everyone moving forward there. Well, and to build off before I jump in with Mike, um, this guy is a known PED user, and for all the people that get on their soapbox and complain about you know steroids out of the game, steroids is so bad. It, it seems a little hypocritical to me to then have the same fans cheering him at other ballparks that. You know, what a great career. So just my two cents. Mike, your thoughts? I, I've i never really been a huge fan of the retirement tour in this sort of uh, Chipper Jones to Rivera to Jeter to now, now Ortiz. I, it, it just, I don't know. The whole, the whole concept is just a little weird because it, uh, you know, because Mick is right. Like Ortiz is, he's beloved in Boston. And, and he should you know, be. He, Don't, let's not take that away from him. He should be, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, every every game he plays in Fenway this year should 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 have been a retirement tour anyway. Uh, you know, if, if, it's his last, if it's his last year. Um, you know, and around around the country, uh, I mean, Ortiz has become such, such a symbol uh, with... Um, you know, the events that happened in, in the 2013 with the Boston Marathon bombing. Oh, like yeah. Ortiz was the face of that. And, you know, he's he's had all, such a role that, uh, you know, fr- from his postseason heroics to, uh, you know, to, to, bl- to publicity events to his, you know, there was a, a while where Ortiz selfies were, were a thing and Ortiz was taking selfies with people. <laughs> and it was... You know, it wasn't just just Boston. It was it was a big thing that Ortiz was taking selfies, and you know, you you can see that there's there's something there. But let, let me ask this question: just, it, Is it, when I think of a retirement tour, I'm thinking of somebody that you specifically in a visiting town you're going to go watch. If it's Michael Jordan, the last time he's coming through town, you want to see him. Uh, Derek Jeter, Cal Ripken, kind of that idea. Is David Ortiz the kind of guy that people go pay money to watch, or do they go watch the Red Sox? I, well, I, I think that's that's probably a question we'll have answered answered this year. Uh, it, it seems like like he is. it seems like he's he's big poppy. He's bigger than life, and you know he he's been he's been the really the the face of the Red Sox. Uh, in their their kind of modern successful uh, era, 
you know, since like he came in in 2003, and they've been, you know, one one of the best teams in baseball since then. You know, even even with the last the last three years, uh, well, you know, three out of four years, uh, kind of struggling. Like you can't you can't argue with what's happened. Well, Ortiz has been on the team, and he's been he's been excellent when they've been excellent. Uh, no question. If, if I were that, another yeah. team, I'd probably be, be kind of glad to, to hear he's retiring. Because uh, it just seem, it just seems like if there's a big moment, David Ortiz can come through. Mick, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I I, I see both sides of it. I mean, I, I do think that he does have uh, a national uh, presence. You know, you see it kind of in home run derbies where he's involved in the past. He's been kind of the guy that that churns it, and it, it does seem like you know young kids know Big Poppy and. And that is a, a a real drawing point, I think, for a lot of this. I'm just unsure how it kind of plays in, say, you know, again, Kansas City, just to randomly pick a town. You know, are there really people there that are going to see that? And so when they go to visit the last the last homestand there or the last, last time Red Sox come into town, is it really to see Big Poppy or is it just like your point, to see the Red Sox, to see the Royals play and they'd be there no matter what? Um, so I don't know. I just think it would be very strange for the Kansas City Royals to roll out like a car for him, you know, as a gift or something. It's like, did he really, you know, add $30,000 to your bottom line over the years in terms of ticket sales? Uh, I don't know. Perhaps he did. And and please, I'm not trying to come off as anti-David Ortiz. He's one of the best players, you know, kind of from my childhood up through, you know, adulthood or whatever the heck I am these days. So he's one of my favorites to watch. So please, I'm not trying to take, you know, cheap shots at him. It just... When I think of a retirement tour, I think of, you know, the guy's got to be one of the five best of all time kind of guys and just the elite of the elite of the elite. And I don't know. When I think of Ortiz, I don't think of a Hall of Famer necessarily. Yeah, like I, th- I think, you know, in Minnesota they want to do something. I sure. understand where that's where he started. I, and I kind of even get it if you do it in New York because just the rivalry of that. But everywhere else, I'm just not sure what – you know what that really means to either the fans or even the opposing team and how are yankee fans going to react actually mick you're a yankee fan i'll ask you if all of a sudden they roll out some gift for poppy is that going to just get booed or is that going to be oh it's going to get booed but i think you know as a rational yankee fan i'll say that i would agree with that i mean much like you know if red sox gave away jeter or something i i think that's it makes sense i mean it's kind of the best of of that rivalry no matter whether you were on the winning end or the losing end for those years. And, and I think that it's a, it's a sign of respect, and I think that he deserves it in that rivalry. Okay, I can give you that. Uh, I, I would mm, – okay, I, I think that's a great point. Uh, very, very well said. I, I have no problem with them, you know, the last time he's – the last game he's ever going to play there, you know, they give him a award kind of thing or just a little tip of the cap before the game. But Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, again, I'm not talking about you know getting a a motorcycle with a sidecar with a Red Sox logo on it or something. Yeah, like that's just over the top and ridiculous. But but it, some some little piece of you know whether it's like you know something with Yankee dirt on it or whatever. I don't know. You know, just something to that effect. Although I will say, I, I thought it was a nice gesture by Ortiz to say, "Please don't give me these gifts. Please donate it to to a charity or my charity." You know, in lieu of I don't I don't need these gifts. I thought that was. If you're going to have one of these tours, I thought that was a pretty classy move. Yeah, I agree. Mike, uh, maybe let let you wrap this up. Yeah, um, I just pulled up the the schedule here as we're as we're talking about uh, talking about teams it's relevant to. The Red Sox are playing the NL East. Looks like for for interleague play, uh, and that that's you know kind of where look the Marlins. David Ortiz doesn't really have anything with the Marlins. Uh, the Atlanta Braves. You know, there's kind of a Red Sox-Braves thing that's a holdover. But there's there's nothing really, nothing there. Uh, it sort of get, gets the kind of the point, point we've been making. A retirement tour is a nice idea. It's great for a send-off for a guy that's... If Ortiz isn't at quite the threshold he's close enough to the threshold where you can say he's one of the greats 
but there's a there's a lot of games in the baseball season and a lot of stops, and there's just not there's like it w- it was great to see Jeter finish up his season, uh, you know at at Fenway Park, you know Rivera coming through, and you know Yankee fans will probably enjoy getting to see one you know see their old rival one more time. But there's there's a lot of stops where it's it's kind of a stretch and it's you know good on Ortiz kind of heading it up on the pomp and circumstance and the gifts uh, that you can say you know I don't want a retirement tour but I'm retiring and it's fair for me to announce it yeah well said I, I think that's uh, kind of exactly right so all right guys final uh, subject I want to cover this week is uh, let's do a little free agent predictions Let's throw out there. I'm going to throw out five names, kind of five of the bigger free agents that are out there uh, on the market this year. And I'd love to get your predictions on contract they sign and where they go. Um, I, maybe I'll start to give you guys a half second to, uh, you know, think about it to, to start. I'm going to start with Jason Hayward, outfielder, former St. Louis Cardinal. Uh, this is a tough one. I don't know where I en- uh, see him ending up. I'm going to go completely off the board. And I am going to go with an eight-year, $200 million contract for Jason Hayward, and he goes to the New York Yankees. That's my start. Uh, Maybe we'll go opposite uh, alphabetical and start with uh, Mick this round. Uh, I like your your eight-year, $200 million. Um, And it it does seem like a move the Yankees would make. Uh, I just don't see them pulling the trigger on that with the some of the glut they have. I know it's coming off the books, you know, with Beltron and at this point they're trying to trade Gardner and maybe even Ellsbury, but uh, I have to think that St. Louis has the wherewithal to kind of bring him back at that rate. Um, and again, I have no like you said, this is a real tough one. Like this one could be, you know, Arizona could end up coming in at 220 for 8 years and he signs there. I, I really have no feel for this whatsoever. I'm very, I think to your point, I think it's very interesting to see because he could be a fit on, in, in some ways, all 30 teams because you can play both center and right. And, you know, he's 26 or 27 now. So you're getting most of his prime. Uh, Mike, kind of, I'm putting you on the spot. I, I think he's going to the Dodgers. Ooh, okay. The Dodgers have, they've, they've got Jock Peterson. He's great. They've got Yasiel Puig. Don't know what's going to happen with Puig, but they're outfield. You know, left left field. They still have Crawford. You know, Crawford, Ethier, Ethier can start. Uh, Crawford probably not. Hayward could fill in anything and really give them that. Uh, you know, as much as the Dodgers have a three hundred million dollar payroll, they don't have uh, outside of you know pitching. They don't really have a superstar. Hayward could be that. I, I could see that. I could definitely see that. And then they could use any of those guys, particularly Peterson as a trade chip. I could, I could absolutely see that. And what, what kind of dollar figure? I got to put, I got to put you on the spot there too. If we're gonna, if we're gonna say it's the Dodgers, uh, the Yankees and Cardinals get into the bidding. That's like two fifteen. All right. Okay. Uh, next name: David Price. Uh, no compensation attached to him because he got traded mid-season. Probably helps. Uh, one of the best free agent pitchers to come on the market in a long time. Um, yeah, I don't have a good feel for this one. It, it, once again, I think this may be where Price lands on the Dodgers if Greinke doesn't come back. I'm going to go with a six-year, $175 million offer for David Price going to the Dodgers. Uh, e- either. I'll go Mike this time. Sure, I think uh, that's that's probably about about right. I I I, I think it's going to end up with a seventh year somewhere that that'll be the the crossing point. But he's going he's going to go to the Washington Nationals to pair up with Max Scherzer, uh, make up for Zimmerman and the eventual departure of Steven Strasburg. Man, you just made my day. That would be great. <laughs> great. All right, sign him up. Sign me up. <laughs> uh, Mick, same question. Uh, I agree with Mike where I think that that seventh year is going to be the, 
move that pushes him over the edge to a certain team. Uh, I actually think he's going to end up on the Yankees. I think this is the kind of move that Cashman needs to make, uh, make a big splash. And he knows that it comes down to pitching, and I think that's a move that he he makes uh, nine times out of ten. What's that seven-year up the total to? Does it get him over $200 million? Uh, I don't think it quite gets him to that, but I think it gets him to, you know, in the 190 range. Mm. Man, I'd love to be in the 190 million range. Man, I would love to be in that range. Bonus. <laughs> okay, uh, next name: uh, Zach Greinke. Um, coming off one of the greatest seasons, you know, kind of in modern history in a lot of ways, and didn't even win the Cy Young. So, pretty amazingly, um, I- I'm going to let somebody else start this time. I- I'm going to be a little uh, bashful here. Uh, let's start with Mike. I'm putting you on the spot, Zach Greinke. Zach Greinke. Yeah, I-, I think this is where. Uh... This is where Dombrowski makes his deal. He's going to give Granky. Granky is 30, 31 now, I think. Or maybe he's 32 and he just turned. Or it's 31 or 32. He's going to get seven years, about $175 million. And he's going to go to the, and he's going to go to the Red Sox. Wow. Okay. Mick? I didn't have it at, to be that much. I... I thought maybe five, maybe six years at the most. You know, with a with a uh, value of twenty five million a year, I'd say. So, looking at that 150, 125 to one fifty range, uh, I actually like the the rumors we've heard lately. I, I think the Giants would be a good fit for him, and so I, I think that's where he would end up. Yeah, I, I think I, I feel it's probably going to be the Giants as well. Um, I think you guys talked me into that price is probably going to get seven years. So I think that in that vein, I'm going to go with Granky getting six. And I think you're probably right. That 25 to 27 million, you know, a year annually number, which is just scary to give a pitcher, particularly over 30. But yeah, I'm going to go with six years and $155 million. And he's going to go to the Giants. I hope that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> Because I do think the Giants need to make a big move this offseason, and I don't know what it's going to be, but I think that adding another pitcher to pair with Bumgarner at the top and then you hope that you know Kane and some of the other guys get healthy and get right, maybe they could, you know, once again. It is an odd, you know, an odd year, so, or an even year, pardon me. So they are supposed to win the World Series this year. So Okay, uh, Ben Zobrist. Human utility knife kind of thing. Uh, I, I'm going to st- – I'll start with Zobrist. I'll, I'll lead off. Um I have him going to the Nationals in my kind of manifesto I wrote a couple weeks ago. I'm going to stay with that, although I don't feel super confident with it. But I think he gets a four-year. Wow, he's going to get um, like 17 million a year. So whatever the math is, everybody help me out. 68 million, something like that. Yep. So four years, 68, and I think he ends up in Washington, which uh, I'd be pretty happy with that. But wow, that fourth year would be rough. Uh, Mick. I really hate to agree with you completely. I had four years and sixteen million a year, so we're right at that same number. And I think the Nationals as well. All right, uh, Mike, you got to change it up, anyways. You got to change it up. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I I think this is going to be uh, this is going to be Joe Madden's bonus. Uh, he's going to get about sixty million, but he's going to go to the Cubs. And this is going to be this is the reward for a, a a good first season. Is he'll be reunited with Ben Zobrist. I like that. I like that pick too. Is there any chance he stays in Kansas City? I, I think there is, but I think he's going to end up leaving a lot of money on the table if he does that. At least a year, I would think, and probably twenty five million dollars, something and I, like, and just I, a guess. But right, and I'm not so sure. Again, you know, politics aside, I'm not so sure how much the players' union would appreciate that. And I think we overlooked this, but Zobers has not gotten, I mean, all of these men are so well paid, but in baseball terms, you know, he signed a pretty team-friendly contract a long time ago. He hasn't gotten the massive, massive money that you would think from somebody who's been a, such a great player for the last 10 years. Right. So, uh, next name, uh, Chris Davis. Uh, I have a, I don't know. I'm very interested to to see what he ends up with this year, because Power is certainly something in the game that we all need. He's being marketed as both the first baseman and an outfielder by Scott Boris, which I find fascinating. Um, he hits a lot of home runs. I, 
I've, I'm going to give him to the Cub, or pardon me, to the Cardinals. And I'm going to go with five years and $125 million for Chris Davis. And I don't feel very confident in that either uh, contract or team. So, but that's my prediction. Uh, go with Mike this time. Sure, why not? Sure. I, I, think, uh, I think probably 5120 five is about the ballpark. Uh, oh, adding, adding the Boris factor might, might get up to 150. Uh, but I, I, I think they're, gonna, they're going to pull, pull uh, something nice out of his binders, and he's going to end up on the Astros. It's going to be a veteran presence, the big signing. They're going all in. I like that, and they don't like they don't mind strikeouts. That, I, I that's a good pick. That's a good pick there, Mick. Yeah, I mean that is a good pick. I, I, quite honestly, this one perplexes me. Uh, being in the Masson viewing area and listening to uh, their baseball show on the weekends talk about how much they need Chris Davis. Why do you listen to that show? Just, just because because it's baseball and it's the only baseball on, I, I know. But needless to say, um, I, I think I think you're right. I think it's five years. I think it's somewhere in that 120 to 140 range. I, I just see the Orioles making a complete, um, complete last ditch effort and just throwing a ton of money at him, and he stays in Baltimore. Wow, so you think Angelus is going to come out of pocket for nine figures? Okay, yeah. I'm. W- I, Don't get me wrong; I know it's off the board, but quite frankly, I have no idea. You know, I, it's not even like I sit there and go, "Oh, that makes sense," or you know, your point about the Astros made complete sense to me, but I hadn't thought about it until now. And I so so my default setting is, "Oh, Baltimore will just kind of open up the checkbook for him." Well, and they have not opened up the checkbook in a long time since Ubaldo, probably, and that's been a disaster. So maybe it is time for them to step up a little bit. Um, I'm going to do one more name, guys. Uh, let's do Jordan Zimmerman. I'm very, very curious what he what happens with him this year in free agency. I think he's a little younger than Price and Granke. Probably not. Probably he is not in the same class as them, but he's certainly not a uh, too far below them in terms of talent. Uh, let me start with Mick here. What do you think, Jordan Zimmerman? Um, much like the other pitchers we talked about, I think him getting an extra year is going to be big. So I'm going to go with a six-year, about $140 million deal. Uh, again, it's a little high, I think, but I think the Dodgers are the ones who are going to sign him to essentially replace Frenchie. Uh I know the Cubs kind of seem to have some sort of inside track because he's from Wisconsin, and the theory is that he's you know, a lot playing closer to home. I, I just don't see how that, you know, a lot of guys talk about that or a lot of a lot of media talks about that, and I, I don't really see that ever happening a lot. So I think he's just going to end up going to the uh, team that's offering him the most money, and I think that's the Dodgers. Well, and it, Milwaukee is not, you know, 15 minutes away from Chicago. It's still a drive. It's not like you would be living in Milwaukee or near his hometown. I mean, this, it would still be, I mean, it would right. be like saying, oh, I'm from Philadelphia and I'm playing in Washington, like, Okay, I mean, yeah, but you're not home, so. Uh, Mike, same question, Jordan Zimmerman. I I think this is going to be uh, it's going to be an, an, another move where it's a team building on their success, but also having a little turnover, and he's going to go to the Blue Jays. Okay. They, okay. They won't front the money for Price because uh, he's going to be, you know. Probably the most expensive uh, pitcher this offseason, but you bring in Zimmerman, uh, pair him with Stroman, you've got something something really nice at the top. Yeah, and I like their trade for Jesse Chavez the other day. I thought that was a nice addition to the back end of their bullpen and bringing Estrada back for two years. I think, like you say, that really could be now pretty probably the best rotation in uh, the American League East if they added Zimmerman. That's a good point. And under 30. Yes, good point. Uh, I have no insider knowledge of this, but absolutely whatsoever but i feel really confident that zimmerman is going to boston this year i don't know why but i think he's shipping up to boston i think he's going to get six years and i think that 130 135 number feels pretty good i think he's uh i just i feel really for whatever reason i feel like he's going to boston i'd be happy with that i just i'm not sure that they i think maybe they get outbid for price 
maybe Greinke doesn't want to go to the East Coast, and and then I think maybe you figure that Zimmerman's maybe the best pitcher left available in the market. So, but I have, like I said, no knowledge. It just it feels like a good fit. So, all right, guys, uh, pretty good show this week. I think uh, this is a good place for us to stop and uh, kind of end the show the way we begin every show. I'd love to give you guys a spot just to where people can find you on Twitter, where they can find your work, where they can talk to you about baseball if they want to. So, um. We'll start alphabetically like we always do. Mike, say goodbye, man. Say goodbye to the internet. Say goodbye Uh, to the internet. I didn't want to steal Kevin Goldstein's line too perfectly, but yeah. Yeah. And in homage to the, uh, well, to the Astros connections, I guess. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, yeah. So I'm I'm on Twitter at Mike Carlucci, uh, working on stuff for Banished to the Pen uh, at a... At, at long last, talk about the connection between collectible card games and Moneyball. So Very that'll cool. be that'll be out there in the future. I'm looking forward to that. I, I'm a big fan of your work at Banish to the Pen. So uh, looking forward to when you uh, put that up. Absolutely, Mick, my buddy. Uh, you can reach me at Mayflies on Twitter, and uh, you can pretty much get every link there from uh, Banish to the Pen and the stuff I'm doing on uh, prospects that come through town here. Very, very cool. Uh, certainly, just speaking from a Nationals uh, perspective, uh, must follow on Twitter and uh, big fan of your work covering the minor leagues for the Nationals and um, given that perspective that we don't always get. So uh, big fan of your work. Thank you for joining me, Mick. And uh, Mike, obviously, thank you again for joining as well. It's great to be back. Yeah, thank you for having me. And we will have you guys back very soon, particularly when Boston has that next shoe to drop. We'll be uh, bringing you back on to uh, <laughs> dissect the offseason. But uh, in seriousness, guys, thank you so much for joining me and uh, look forward to having you guys back on sometime this offseason. Thanks. It's been great. Thanks. And that was episode 40 of the Banish to the Pen podcast. I really want to thank both Mike Carlucci and Mick Reinhardt for uh, coming back on the show and joining me. I really enjoyed that. That was a lot of great baseball talk, and uh, I hope you all enjoyed it like we did. Uh, I also, before we get out of here, I want to thank everybody that's involved in Banish to the Pen, the writers, the administrators, uh, everybody, the technical support staff, everybody that's involved, the writers, editors, just, you know, everybody and anyone. So... A lot of people working very hard and uh, putting out a really good product each and every day. So I hope uh, everybody checks out Banish to the Pen. Follow them on Twitter and certainly bookmark it and uh, start your day with your morning cup of coffee over at Banish to the Pen. I am Ryan Sullivan at NatsGM.com on Twitter and the Baron of All Baseball Podcasts reminding you, be nice to your fellow listeners.